Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Michael Lockstanfor as he continues our latest sermon series, Can You Hear Me? Learning How Prayer Works. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting that community here on the internet. That's you. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask that you serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. When we say the phrase, the Lord's Prayer, most people have an idea of what we're talking about, especially if we say the first few words. The problem with that is familiarity. When we hear something so many times, it can lose its effectiveness. We tune it out because we think, oh, I've got this one. I've heard it before. No need to really engage here. I understand it completely. The problem with that thought process is then we miss out on how God is speaking. This episode is an example of that. Listen closely as Pastor Michael minds Jesus' directions to the disciples on how to pray and then applies that to our lives today. Prayer being so essential to our Christian faith is something we don't use effectively most of the time. Jesus' directions are clear. We challenge you to engage with the text and listen closely as we learn from Matthew 6, Jesus' directions for talking to God draw us up from our daily grind. church. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I've got a question to begin. Um, how many of you have ever been in love? All right, we've got a couple. Some of you are willing to admit you've ever been in love. I'm looking at you, honey. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't been in love, because um, I acknowledge there are some younger uh, folks with us this morning. If you haven't ever been, have you ever seen people who are in love and they're just like, Oh, so I just can't stop thinking about you. I just want to talk to you all the time. And you know what's, what's interesting about that? Because now we're older and we have more perspective. It's like, hey, this person that you couldn't live without, like, you didn't even know them last week. This person that you're like willing to, to, to sell everything and I'll do anything to live with you or I'll do anything that we can be together. Like, I'll move mountains so that we can be I didn't even know your name. A month ago, I didn't, you did not even exist at all. And now I know you and I just can't imagine my life without you. I need you in my life. You're going to be tempted as a middle or high school girl to, to, to think about boys this way. I'm just encouraging you at the beginning. Don't do it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, what does that look like if, 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 the, if the relationship goes well um, and things progress well and they come to uh, uh, become married and they've been married for, um, we'll, we'll give them two years. <laughs> does, the, does the conversations between a couple sound the same two years into marriage as they do when they just met and they've fallen in love? What do the conversations sound like? Give me an example. I'm leaving <laughs> That's not where I was planning to go. Okay. What does a conversation sound like two years into marriage? 
Did you pay the electric bill? We got stuff to take care of. Life is going on. Our conversations change as one, our familiarity, and two, our intimacy with people changes. And, and it's the same thing in our relationship with God. And that's the reason why I, I posed this big question, can you hear me? We're talking about, does God listen to us when we pray? And in order to answer that question, what we've done over the last two weeks is we've gone back to the life of Jacob. Because I wanted to show you that there is growth in our conversations with God. Because remember, two weeks ago, I'm asking you to go way, way back. Two weeks ago, Jacob had no idea who God was. God was just some dude that my grandpa worshipped. And my dude had some kind of interaction with this God thing. And dad kind of was into it too. But it's not my story. And then God shows up and he has this, this, this encounter with God. And God starts blessing his life richly. And so there's this, there's this idea that when we come to God, I didn't even know you a week ago, and now I can't stop thinking about you. But remember, it's in, in the same way with couples. What is, it, what is it that couples in that, I'm so in love with you, you make me feel so nice, like I'm so attracted to you? Like, what is the, what is the attitude of a couple in love? I like you for what you do for me. You make me feel good things. I like being with you, right? It's, there's, there's, and that initial, like, I just, I never knew you before, but now I can't imagine my life without you. It's, you make me feel good, and I want to spend time with you because you make me feel good. Two years into marriage, that feeling is gone. You're committed to them, but you're having different conversations. Like, it's not that, I'm not, I'm not staying with you because you make me feel good. I'm staying with you because I'm committed to you, and I'm committed to loving you. The conversation changed. Because, because when Jacob's life, he didn't know God and God started blessing him and Jacob was still, it's all about me. God, take care of my needs. God, take care of my needs. I need you to take care of this. And remember, he's stressing out, trying to go back home and there's an army coming and he's really concerned about what his brother's gonna do to him. And God gets a hold of him and says, I'm not like, hey, I get it. You've trusted me with everything in your life, but I'm asking you to trust me with yourself. That's where we've been. I wanted to, as we dive into this question about praying, and does God hear us when we pray, I wanted to take you to a story of a person to know that our intimacy with God, the conversations that we have with God, changes over time. And so as we turn to our text this morning in Matthew 6, we're going we're gonna to see Jesus' invitation to, be, to talk to God above what our daily grind is. But I want you to understand and have a framework for understanding that his instructions are people who are disciples. See, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, and everybody in here is going to know the words of what Jesus says. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All right, sermon done. Oh. All right, so, so now I'm giving you a peek behind the curtain. You ready for behind the scenes? I have to teach you something new about something you have memorized. It, whether you've been in church or not, but for, for any amount of time, like this is something that you're so familiar with, you can say it, but all I have to say is, our Father, and you can go. So what I want to do is I want to slow us down. 
and to take a look at something at a, at a deeper level and to understand it in a, in a deeper way. Can you do that with me? Can we go slow through something you already know this morning? Yeah? Okay, well, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you're using a story Bible this morning, if you'd like a story Bible uh, to follow along with, it's on page 671 in these. <clears throat> and I'm going to turn there too. 671, Matthew chapter 6. And as we open God's Word, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your Word and how it challenges us. We thank you for your Spirit and how you lead us. And so, Lord, as we turn all of our attention to you, Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly through your Word. That you would translate your Word into our hearts that, God, you'd find hearts that are willing to be shaped by you starting today. <laughs> Lord, I pray that as, as we continue forward, God, that any words that I say that are my own, God, that they'd be quickly forgotten and, and anything that reflects the truth of who you are would remain forever in the minds of us that are here today. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm actually going to start in verse 5 for us today. Matthew chapter 6, page 671, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, so here's, I'm just going to say, we've talked a lot of stories. We've seen some examples of people praying. Here is the instruction manual. Those of you that need a bullet list, you're going to get a bullet list here, all right? And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We'll pause there. So this is actually, this chapter 6 is actually in a three-chapter sermon that Jesus is preaching. So I'm, I'm preaching this morning a section of a sermon that Jesus preached. And I'm going to try to do it, you know, kind of as good as he did. But he did a better job. So I'm encouraging you, go and read Jesus' sermon. It'll be better than what you hear this morning. But hopefully today it will be applicable to where you guys are at this morning in your seats today. But as he goes through this sermon, we saw, because we read in chapter 5, which was the beginning of his sermon, he said, blessed are you who are poor, because you will be rich in the... Like, he does this thing where he's saying... This is what you think how things should work, but this is how it actually works. All the things that you thought you understood, I'm telling you there's a spiritual truth behind them that is bigger and more complicated. And he starts to do this thing where he says, this is the danger of how you can go wrong, and I'm going to give you a prescription of how to do what's right. So here in, this, in these verses, he's talking about the danger of celebrity. Are you praying just because there's people around watching you pray, and you want to feel good about yourself? The celebrity, the danger of celebrity, and the prescription is one of solitude. So I'm not saying, and I'm a guy who prays publicly all the time. I'm not saying that there's no place for public prayer. I think there is. But what he's saying is that if you are only praying publicly, then you've missed it. If you're only praying when other people can hear you, and you then you've already gotten everything you're going to get from God. If you wanted recognition, you want other people to think that you're holy, then, then you're good. If the only time you're thinking about God or thinking about talking to God is when you're at church, 
then what, is, what does that look like? What would that look like for me and Jesse? Like, you guys only see, if, 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 if we only see each other, or, or you only see us and our interaction on Sunday morning, and if, if the only time I talk to Jesse or the only time I give her a hug or a smooch or whatever makes you guys grossed out, if the only time I show her any affection is when we're at church on Sunday, what would you say about our relationship? I ignore her for the rest of the week. How would you evaluate that relationship? Dysfunctional. There you go. That's a great word. So Jesus is saying from the outset, if you're only praying when other people are watching, then your relationship with God is dysfunctional. It's not going to serve the purpose that you want it to. So the danger is celebrity, and the prescription is solitude. Go and talk to God on your own time. Michael, I don't, have, I don't have any free time. Look, I get it. I'm in the same boat. But you have time. You make time for what's a priority for you. And if your relationship with God is a priority, then you'll find time to talk to him. That's all prayer is, is we're just talking to God. So that's where he starts. Danger, celebrity, prescription, solitude. We following so far? Let's move into the next section. In verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty words as the gent as uh, excuse me. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, the, the danger here is religiosity. I'm just going to pray because I feel like that's my religious duty. I'll, t I'll pray to God every day. I'll give him 10 minutes. I'll pray these things. I'll pray the Our Father. I'll pray the Hail Mary. I'm just making these up. I don't know what they are. But I'll pray. I'll just, I've got a set of prayers, and I'm going to do these, and I'll even do them every day, but it's, it's disconnected from how I actually think. You know, when we, when we talk about prayer, when we talk about building a relationship with God, if I came to Jesse and said, Hello, my wife. I love you. You are wonderful. And I said the same thing every morning. I give you 10 minutes as I'm getting my day started. How's that relationship looking? She's feeling pretty ignored. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm going to stop using her as an illustration. <laughs> what I want you to see is that when we're talking about talking to God, we're talking about a relationship. We're talking about, and it's weird because you can't see him, can you? Like, I can see Jessie. I can tell when she's upset. I can tell when she's frustrated, when she wants me to stop using her as a sermon illustration. I can see that. But when it comes to God, we can't always see what he's doing. And we have to turn to his word to understand his thoughts. And his spirit guides us through his word. And it's not one for one. And it's not as simple. It's just, it feels confusing, right? But the danger is that we get religious about it. I've got a prayer, and I'm going to do this, and this is how it's going to be, and it fits in my box, and that's what my prayer life is. And, and how, 
how would you respond if somebody were coming to you with that kind of an attitude? Would you be eager to answer whatever it is that they have, you know, wrote and memorized? And what's interesting to me about that is that he uses this example of, and you look at your title in your, in your Bible, it will say the Lord's Prayer, right? I'm going to just suggest to you that this is not the Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. Because the disciples are asking him, how do I pray? He says, this is how y'all should pray. The Lord's Prayer we're actually going to get to next week, but this is the disciples' prayer. So if you've got it hanging up, just cross out at your home. Just cross out Lord's Prayer, put disciples. I'm kidding. Come on. These are the jokes. All right. So as he's talking about the danger of religiosity, I want you to understand there are no magic words to get God's ear. And this is, why, this is what the primary reason why I started talking about Jacob. Because, because every conversation begins on God's end. We want to pray because God wants us to talk to him. And, I, and we went to Jacob's example and how God worked in his life to show that there's not a magic formula that it's gonna, you get to say the right words and God just automatically answers your prayers. <clears throat> when you pray, you must not heap up empty phrases that the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. It's not about what you say. It's not about the words that you use. It's about the attitude that you pray with. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, we come to God and we think that God is like us. And sometimes we have to use those examples of earthly relationships to try and grasp what God is trying to do. But fundamentally, God is not like us. God created the universe just by speaking. He said it and it was. Energy, mass, you know, all of the laws of physics, bloop, it exists. When I say, and, and you know this if you have children, when I say something, it's not a given that it's going to happen. But when God speaks, it happens. He is creator of the universe, sovereign over every part of this room, over every part of this city, over every part of the country. He's got it all under his control. And he's holding planets together and keeping them spinning at the right orbit. And stars that we can't even see are all under his domain. God is not like you. Our Father in heaven. He's near us, but he's not like us. He's not near us because we're so great. He's not impressed by you. He's near us because he cares about you that much. So hallowed be your name. That's a church word. You all know it. You said it. It's in your head. What it means is uh, let your name be revered. Let your reputation be held in the honor that it's deserving of. There's a, a pastor by the name of A.W. Tozer. He says, the things that we think about God, the thoughts that we think when we think about God are the most important thing about us. Do we see God as God? Or do we see him as, oh, he's my buddy. He's the big guy upstairs. He's going to take care of my problems here. God is not like us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your reputation be lifted up. Your kingdom come and your will be done. See, every conversation starts with God. <laughs> and then our struggle for satisfaction is one in our surrender to God's reshaping. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. But we like to think that the world revolves around us. It's just born in us naturally. All of the kids up here, they think that everything we're doing is actually about them. It's not. 
But, but when we surrender to God's reshaping, we understand that God is reshaping us personally. He does that, and that's what we studied in Jacob's life last week. God reshapes us personally, but he is reshaping all of creation. It was all marred by our choice to rebel against him. Sin affected everything in creation at the molecular atomic level. And so he's reshaping things that are beyond our understanding. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You are doing things, God, beyond what I understand. Do what you're going to do. Let it happen the way that you want it to happen. In my life personally, but also in the rest of creation, in our country, in the universe as it's spinning, and I don't understand physics. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are God, you're not like us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. See, um, we don't, we have a, a varied diet, right? We ate a different thing for every meal this week and had three meals. In, in the culture where Jesus is talking about, their daily bread, like you had bread and, and that was what you ate and that was your meal for breakfast and that was your meal for lunch and that was your meal for dinner. If you had lunch, they normally would just eat two meals, you know, before work started and then after work started. And you'll see that even sometimes today. But our daily bread, like, that's all I need for today. And if you look at the footnote, it says maybe my bread for tomorrow. Like, give me today what I need to take care of today and, and just let me know that I'm provided for. God, give me all that I need and nothing more. Just my daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Did it strike you yet that when the disciples, or when Jesus instructed the disciples to pray, he wanted them to pray with each other? Our Father, Give us this day. See, prayer and God's shaping happens in solitude, but he also encourages the believers to pray together. Seek God together on the things that he wants to do in the world. For us, grace, what is our daily bread? I'm not sure how to answer that. But what is our daily bread? I'm sure if I asked you what your daily bread is, what do you need for today, you could probably give me that answer. But I have a difficult time thinking about what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a community aspect to what God is asking us to pray. And we see that, and we're challenged by that in the very next verse, in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. God, please share with us what we are willing to share with others. This is hard. <laughs> God, use the measure that I use to me that I give to other people. Let the generosity that I show towards my neighbor be the generosity that you show towards me. See, our natural attitude is, God, give me more than I'm willing to give to other people. Show me more grace than I've got for these people. Give me more grace so that I can just not strangle anybody today, God, please. But forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Like, it's, it's a completed action. It's already happened. The assumption, and this is, I love Jesus. He's so good. He uses the assumptive close. Jesus doesn't say, hey, forgive the people that, that, that 
owe you something? He says, you have already forgiven them, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have, or we have forgiven those, or as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver Deliver us from what? Deliver us from what might distract us from your purpose. Now, if you look, you've got a footnote in, in your story Bible. To footnote 8 it goes down to the bottom and tells you that it's, it might be uh, deliver us from the evil one. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't want to get into explaining it. But it's deliver us from what or deliver us from who might distract us from your purpose. Because remember, we started, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? Okay. We're there. We're following, we're tracking. Anybody, anybody like super excited about this? Like this, this meets all my needs, Michael. Like this is the spiritual food that I was looking for. Thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. That's not what I feel when I hear this. I go, God, like this doesn't actually meet me where I'm at. You're asking me to pray for things that I don't actually care about so much. I, I came to you to ask for prayer. Like show me how to pray so that I feel good about me. And you showed me how to pray so that I feel really terrible about what I'm doing in my life and the attitudes that I have towards you. Jesus is like that. He'll come to you and give you what you need, not what you wanted. He knows what you want. He knows what you need. And he loves you too much to just give you everything you want. He loves you enough to give you what you need. And it might not look at all like what you wanted. We've got an explanation verse there in verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Our faith, and thus our prayer, our faith is not just a private matter. The way that we talk to God isn't just, you know, a vertical thing just between me and God. And even though I get in my prayer closet and I just talk to God, like if I have anger and hatred towards other people, like that's going to affect me and me talking to God. We're really good at dividing our lives up. We're really good at at compartmentalizing things like, okay, I'm dealing with this person here and I'm dealing with this person there and those two are separated and I can be here and deal with this person in a third way. We're really good at compartmentalizing our lives and we think we're good at compartmentalizing our lives. But here's the thing. We only have one heart. There's only one of you. And if you think that your anger towards somebody else isn't affecting how you talk with people that you're not angry about, then you haven't understood that you are a whole person. And so when God says, hey, you're praying to me, say, acknowledge the fact that I have forgiven you your sins. Remember, this is the disciples' prayer. And if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, that's fine. I've, I've, we had two weeks of you know, getting to the place where we want to trust Jesus and we want to follow him on this. But for those of us who claim to follow Christ, like, hey, You've been forgiven of every sin ever. God doesn't hold any sin against you. And so what right do you have as somebody who's been fully and freely forgiven to hold something back to forgive other people? And Jesus does another assumptive close with that. If you're going to follow me, 
and I've forgiven you, then forgiveness is what you give. You want to be like me? I forgive. I forgive people who are literally killing me as they are doing it because I can see with compassion that they don't understand what they're doing. They didn't get it. And they need me. This is hard. And this brings us to the crux of, of, our, of, our, of our discussion. This is the heart of the sermon series here. And I'm going to do something because I want you to think about this. If this is a question that you've wrestled with, God, do you hear me when I pray? Like, are you actually, like, listening? There are some instances that the Bible describes as places where God doesn't listen to what you're praying where God doesn't answer your prayers on purpose. And I'm just going to give them to you. If you want to write them down, then I'd encourage you to do that because this is a heart issue that I can't deal with in a sermon. I can't deal with you one-on-one -on -one in the way that, that God wants to deal with you. So I'm encouraging you, if this is the question, God's driving you to his word, and these are the passages that he talks about. He says, hey, there are situations when God doesn't listen to our prayers. One, when we're not listening to him. In Jeremiah 11, 11, God's people are on the verge of being destroyed. And he's like, y'all aren't listening to me. Why would I listen to you? In James 4, 3, he says, y'all are asking me. Y'all are praying all the time, but you're not asking for the right things. You're not listening to what I told you to ask for. So when we're not listening to him, when we're doing the opposite of what he told us to do, we have a funny habit of doing this sometimes, don't we? Psalm 51 all of it. <laughs> David's trying to deal with, you know, the sin in his life. I did the exact opposite of what you told me to do, God. Forgive me. Psalm 66, particularly verses 16 through 20. And 1 Samuel 15 is a great example of this, of Saul doing something the exact opposite way that God told him to do. And God's saying, I'm not listening to you. You're not doing what I told you to do. Psalm 51, Psalm 66, 16 through 20, 1 Samuel 15. So when we're not listening to him, when we're doing the opposite of what he's already told us to do, and when we're sinning against another person, God's not going to listen to you. Psalm 109, verses 6 through 7, talks about that attitude. 1 Peter 3, 7 says that when a husband is continually sinning against his wife, that God doesn't necessarily listen to your prayers in that situation. That if you haven't reconciled your relationship with the people on earth, then why would God listen to what it is that you want to do? And that's hard because he says husbands. Hey, husbands, God might not be listening if you don't treat your wife well. I don't find a corollary passage for wives. I think that should say something about our responsibility, men. But it's in there, 1 Peter chapter 3. And Matthew chapter 6, 14 through 15, that's exactly where we're at. If you don't forgive other people, then it's going to affect your relationship with God. So that's all heavy stuff. Are we sufficiently defeated <laughs> this morning? There's a couple of objections that I had as I read this, right? There's a couple of things that came up in my heart, the this, this sinful part of my heart that said, hey, God, like, I hear what you're telling me to pray, our Father, and you're not like us, and I get all that. Like, I, it makes sense in my head, but I'm not there. Like, hey, God, um, I want more than just my daily needs met. I get it. You're going to provide. If I ask you, you're going to provide for everything I need for today, but I want more than that. And there's a passage that we read as we were beginning that said, hey, nobody can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. <sighs> okay. 
All right, I get it. Like, yeah, okay, Jesus, but, but it's not like that. Like, I'm not greedy. I just want a little bit more. I'm not asking for everything. I don't want to be Bill Gates, but I just, I need a little bit more than what I need for today, right? Jesus says, hey, check your attitude. And he says it in kind of a weird way. Um, I'm going to go to it and read it. He says, don't lay treasures, up, treasures in heaven. In verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Does everybody agree that if you can see, it's going to help your toe <laughs> to not get stubbed on, right? If your eye is healthy and you can see clearly what's going on around you, your whole body is thankful for that. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's saying, hey, look, if you don't see things the way that I see you, that's, see things, that's the problem with your eyes. You need to change your perspective. It's, 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 again, the danger of these desires that go beyond what God wants for me. It's the danger of desires, and the prescription is God's perspective. I want more than my daily needs met, so which masters are you seeking to please? Okay, okay, okay. I don't, I don't want more than what I need for today, but, but, man, it feels like I've got a lot more on my plate than just what my daily needs are. I, uh, like, it feels like there's my daily bread, and then there's my daily oil change, and there's my daily, like, dealing with that person at work, or there's my daily, like, my kids are driving me up the wall, and they're doing exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. God, I feel you on that one. Like, come on. There's a lot more on my plate than just my daily needs. And I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. Let's read it together. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. I was going to summarize it for you, but I feel like Jesus says it so much better. Therefore, so in light of everything we've talked about this morning, here's the hope. Here's the encouragement. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, li is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the richest king in the world up to this point, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these flowers. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. If God takes care of the birds, isn't he going to take care of you? If God makes grass pretty, isn't he going to take care of what you need? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, worry expands to fill the space that you allot for it. 
It's like stuff on a shelf. Like if you've got an empty shelf, how long does it take for that shelf to get full up with just stuff? Stuff expands to fill the space that you allow for. Worry does the same thing. God takes care of the minute needs of creation, and you are more valuable than grass. Hear me, he asked the question, aren't you more valuable? And some of us go, no, no, God, I'm, I'm not. I'm worthless. Hey, God is saying you're worth more than that. You're worth more than grass, and you're worth more than birds. And Peter wouldn't like me saying that, but it's true. There's a difference between uh, humans and animals, and God cares more about humans than he cares about animals. And God cares about you. And he cares about your needs. And he cares about taking care of you. So will you trust him is really the question. Like he's, already, he's already laid it all out there. And here's the thing. He's talking to, to, to poor people in Galilee. They're farmers. All they really get, all they can look forward to is, is a daily bread. Like I just want enough to be able to eat in order to get out into the field in order to be able to eat tomorrow. Like it's just like... That's their life. Talk about the daily grind. And he's saying God's going to provide for all of those things. And we, we go, I had you know, three square meals yesterday. It was all different food. I am not worried about where my next meal is coming from. It didn't even cross my mind until Michael brought it up with the kids this morning. We don't think about food. We don't think about what we're going to wear. We're not concerned that we're going to run out of clothes. I've seen y'all's closets. You're not worried. If you choose to have nothing to wear, it's not because you don't have anything. It's because you don't like anything. And that's a different situation. But God has provided, we live in a culture, a privileged culture that we're not worried about food and we're not worried about clothes. And yet we're worried about everything else. Worry expands to fill the space you, need, you give to it. So will you trust God with the daily things that you need? And will you turn to him? And did you see, God wants more for his kids than your godless neighbor is asking for. Your neighbor's going, God, I just need, I just need, and these are the things that I need, and I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about this, and he's saying, hey, even the Gentiles pray like that. People who don't know me pray like that. Don't pray like people who don't know me. You know me. You're my kid. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow, here's a promise, tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The danger here is of worry. The prescription is of trust. Will we trust God to take care of our needs? So do you see that Jesus' directions for prayer, how he tells us to pray as followers of him, draw us up from our daily grind. So get your eyes off of the things that are going on every day, the things that are wearing your head. Get your eyes off of the daily grind and look at me. I'm doing things. I'm doing things in the world. I'm doing things in your life. And so pray about those things. Don't just pray about the stuff that's on your plate today. Trust me for that stuff. I'll take care of it. Tomorrow's going to worry about itself. Will you trust me today? Where you seek my kingdom first because there's something that I want to do that's greater than what you can see yet. Jesus' directions for prayer draw us up from our daily grind. So to conclude, three questions. Um, and Hannah, you can put those up on the screen. It's at the end of the slides. Three questions. 
Why are you praying? Remember, we started, he said, hey, when you pray, don't get up in front of everybody and raise your hands and look all holy in front of everybody. Don't pray to be a celebrity and people to think nicely of you. Why are you praying? Are you praying because you want to look good? Are you praying because you think this is what you're supposed to do out of a religious thing? Or are you praying because, God, I really, like, you started something in me that I need to talk to you about. You said you forgave me of my sin, and I don't necessarily know what that means. Like, can we, will you walk with me through this? Why are you praying? To look good because you think you ought to or because that's the desire God's put in your heart? And, and, and I want to just reiterate, if, if you're somewhere else, if you're saying, I just do it because that's what I think I'm supposed to do, I just showed up because that's what I think I'm supposed to do, like, that's okay. I want you to understand that there's a progression of relationship, that if you're at the place with God where you're just saying, I just need you to take care of this need, I need you to take care of this, like, I'm just focused on what I need from you, God, like, that's where relationships start. That is okay for you to start a relationship with God like that. But if you're 10 years in, if you've been married for two years, your conversations with God ought to sound a little bit different than they did when you started. So if you're just starting out, Great, continue. If you're continuing and you're going, I still sound like we're just engaged and I just want you to meet my needs, then hey, it's time to think about what it is that you're doing and what it is that you've surrendered to God. The question then is, how are you praying? And who are you trusting when you pray? Are you trusting in yourself? I'm doing the right thing, God. I do good things, so you've got to give me good things. God, I know you're good, and it doesn't feel like you're being good, but I want to trust you. Why are you praying? How are you praying? Who are you trusting? Because Jesus' directions for prayer draw us up from our daily grind. So I'm going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. I'm going to go back, and we'll pray through um, Jesus' directions for how we pray. Um, and I'm going to give space in between each one and just ask you personally uh, to think through what we've talked about this morning and talk with God about what it is. So let's, let's pray together um, in a little bit of a guided way. So I'm going to give space and quiet for you to talk to God, and quietly or out loud, however you want to. Let's pray together, church. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors.
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, you are good and you are kind. And you walk with us every step of the way, wherever we're at. You interjected into our lives when we didn't know you. And we saw you, that you could meet our needs, and so we've been infatuated with you. But Lord, we pray that we'd follow you in your invitation to look above our daily grind, to see your kingdom and your work and the things that you're doing in the world and the things that you're doing in our life. Lord, we trust you. We ask that you would give us more trust to trust you with. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.